All right. All right, guys. Well, um, we are in Exodus chapter 35, and we're actually going to finish Exodus tonight. So 35 to 40. And again, um, I just want to reiterate that there's a lot lot in these chapters, right? It's the implementation of the tabernacle that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, and that we've actually studied in great length and detail with videos and everything. Um, So we will not go over all the intricate details of the tabernacle a second time, Uh, but I do want to highlight some things in here that aren't just the dimensions of the tabernacle. And so let's, uh, let's just pray and then we'll get right into it. So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for this opportunity to uh, gather together in your name, to worship you, Lord, to fellowship, and now to um, get into your word. We pray that uh, as your word is open, Lord, that our hearts and our minds will be open and that you would just uh, speak through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Exodus uh, has been... Such an adventure <laughs> to study through. Every time we finish a book, I kind of get like, I, I don't know, it's the end of the book, depression or something. I'm just like, oh, I don't want to finish it. Um, but there's a, been a lot in here. And uh, I'm blessed to be able to just go through it with you guys. Uh, we've learned a lot about Moses. We learned a lot about the Lord and a lot about the heart of the children of Israel, the human heart. But every time we open the scriptures, we're blessed to learn something that is truth and that we can glean from and apply. So uh, let's get into Exodus tonight. So again, we're going to go through and and highlight a few uh, verses from each chapter. But chapter 35, verse 1 to 3, it says, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And so there will be a lot of working and building in these last six chapters. So resting was imperative, right? right? Uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus said that, right? And so resting is good. <laughs> resting is great. And it's tough to rest. Like if you have a whole day, um, you may last until like 11 a.m. and you're like, okay, I need to do something now. But it's such a good thing that God said, just rest like the whole day. Don't even kindle a fire. Don't just, just do nothing. And that, I think that's kind of got lost on, on us in our society and American culture because we like to just go for it, you know, but we need to rest if we're going to be effective in work. And so it's just a beautiful thing. Anything that we do for the Lord, it stems from our rest in Him, more importantly, our rest in Him. Um, There's a seriousness, too, when it comes to obeying the Lord. Like, we must balance work and rest. You ever get to that point where you're just like, I'm working too much, I'm burnt out, or I'm resting too much, I'm like just a lazy bum? (laughs) It's It's like, we need to get right in the middle there and just be like, okay, Lord, help me to balance this all. So what happens? Well, rest. Make sure you guys rest, then you'll be more productive. And then verse 4 through 9, God instituted a call to willingly give to the work, right? Like resources for God's work and, and offering, right? There's a few different offerings in the Bible, right? There's the tithe, right, which is what, what you offer to the Lord, the first fruits, right? Tithe actually means 10%. Then there's the offering, which is anything above the tithe. Then there's alms, which means giving to the poor. So there's various kinds of giving, but this was giving straight to the work of the Lord to build this thing 
to make sure this can all happen, right? They knew whoever would buy into the, this, this divine appointment that Moses had with God and, and buy into the work of the Lord and to further his kingdom on the earth, even as this thing was built in the center of, uh, of all the tribes. And so, but you had to willingly give. And that's an imperative, important part. You know, we don't want to give, Paul says, like begrudgingly or out of guilt, basically. You know, some, uh, I don't know, some, some churches may be like, you know what, did you give your offering yet? You did? How, was it, how, what percentage was it? Like, so awkward, right? It's like, if you don't want to give, to, Pastor Chuck always said, if you give to the Lord, but you're like, oh man, this is horrible, but here you go, God, then don't give it. <laughs> like, if you feel like obligated and restricted and unhappy, right? The Word of God, the New Testament especially, says to give what? Joyfully, actually. So it's like, if you don't want to give the Lord your money, if you're unhappy in doing it, don't give. Just don't give anything, you know? You should always say that. But it's like, those who really see the vision of the Lord in the congregation and want to further the work will give to the work, right? And so people were to give willingly. And then in verse 10 through 19, here's the coordinating and planning to do the work. Like, Living for the Lord, it doesn't mean that we, that we cease to use our, our brains. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, um, I really don't like the phrase or term like blind faith because that connotates like you don't know anything but you believe anyway. But it's like we believe the word of God and the truth based on evidence. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like I would love to go to Italy. I would love to go. Has anyone ever been to Italy? No? Would you guys love to go to Italy too? Let's all take a trip. Now, I would love to go to Italy. I would love it. Now, I've never been there. Like, I've never seen it in person. We had some friends that have gone to Italy. They took pictures, and all the, the food all just all looks amazing. It looks a beautiful countryside. I mean, I, I see evidence of it. I see testimonies of, oh, I went there, and I went to this one cafe, and they had the best coffee. It was just amazing. It blew my mind. I hear testimonies. I see pictures, all this stuff. I see evidence. But I've never been to Italy. How do I know it exists? Because people are testifying of it, because they're telling me what it looks like and what the sound, what it sounds like, what the foods taste like, what the people are like, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, we don't see God like like face to face. He's too powerful for that. But we testify of Him to people, right? Yes, He does exist because here's what He's done. Um, so we use our brains, though. Our, it's faith based. Yes, we faith. Right? We believe in these things. We don't know every single thing, and that's okay, or else we'd be God. But we use our brains to plan and to coordinate. Like These guys, it wasn't easy. This wasn't an easy task. This was, there was a lot of details. Remember when we went through the whole tabernacle thing? It was like, wow, that is a lot of specifications. And so they had to work together in order to get this stuff done. Just like as a church, we need to work together to further God's kingdom. And so in verse 20, and 29, or verse 20 to 29, Moses sent the people home, actually. I love this. He sent the people home to pray about what to give. He wasn't like, what you got in your wallet? <laughs> he was like, how much you got? Here's an offering plate. Pass it around. No, he sent them home to think about and pray about what they actually wanted to give to the work. No manipulation. It was an individual between them and the Lord. I love that. It's a choice. And this is the, this is the reality that... In a, the lives of believers, we're not supposed to be like just rash, you know? We're supposed to think about things, contemplate things, uh, you know, pray about things. It wasn't the well-off who gave. 
It was those with a willing heart. He wasn't like, hey, are you rich people? Like, you're super rich, make sure you give them more. Like, no, it was, it was those with a willing heart, not the rich. The people gave what they could, and it was between them and the Lord. That's why Calvary Chapel, we never ask for any money. We never say, we're taking up a special offering for a project. You know, uh, we, don't, we don't do that. You know, like we, don't, we don't pass a plate or anything. There's a box in the back because it's between you and the Lord. Whatever God puts on your heart, whatever you can give and then still remain joyful for your first fruits, that's, what, that's between you and God, right? And so in verses 30 to 35, the construction of the tabernacle happened. Uh, Bezalel and Aholiab were chosen by God to be the general contractors, if you will, of this divine tabernacle. And God equipped them with strong muscles and, 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 you know, no, with the Holy Spirit. I love it. God equipped them with the Holy Spirit. Critical for God's work. Before even talent, it's like, well, do you have, do you have a heart for God? Because you could be the most talented at something. Say you're... Um, Play guitar. You can be the most talented guitar player. But if the person's heart is for God, should they really be leading people in worship? No, I don't think so, right? It's first about their heart for the Lord. They're seeking the Lord. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit and being led by the Spirit. That comes first. But it's critical. The Holy Spirit is critical for God's work. And in verse 36, it was up to the workers to listen to these two. In verse 36 of chapter 35. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that wasn't the right verse. Uh, let me just read you verse 35 of 35. He has filled them with skill to do all the manner of work uh, of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. Uh, and Bezalian Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. So these guys were leaders and they had to follow the Lord and implement what he said. Right? A good leader is someone that can actually implement what God has said because they're, they're listening to what God is actually saying. And so filled with the Holy Spirit, being led by God... That's a good leader. And then in chapter 36, the building of the, of the tent of meeting happened. Let me read you verses 4 to 7 of Exodus 36. It says, Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring them much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. That's pretty cool. The people gave more than enough. It was like, when, when a heart is stirred to contribute to the building of God's kingdom, Go for it. <laughs> you know, it kind of reminds me of, of when you guys went to uh, Africa, and we, people gave so much. We were, I, it still blows my mind. Every time I think about our little church and all, the stu- all that you guys gave in order to like, light up dozens of houses and help the school kids, and we did so much with our little church because people were so willing. They're like, how can I help? What can I do? How, what can I give? 
And the, the people gave more than enough. I mean, Moses had to stop, to stop giving. That's good. Like, you don't really hear that today, right? They just, you gave way too much in the offering. Here, take it back. Like, you don't hear that. But man, they were just, they were stirred to give to the work. It's like, wow, so amazing. Um, and then verse 8 to 38 of chapter 36, we see the frame and the curtains and the pillars were put up. Chapter 37, which we already went over all these details, but the tabernacle furniture was built. Uh, and then chapter 38, let me read you verse 8. Chapter 38, verse 8. It says, Then he made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And again, here's like a new like, fact within these, this building of the tabernacle that we already went over when Moses was on Mount Sinai. But, but basically, there was a group of women who served the priests to do some of the tabernacle work. Now, the word minister here means organized in bands for war. And so the life of believers includes spiritual battles. And so they helped in order to organize like, the men for this work. And uh, we're just, it's such a blessing to have women who are gifted at organizing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I suck at it. So I love, I love my wife because she's such a planner and organizer. And I tell her, yeah, uh, she's my calendar, you know, and she's so good at that. But, but these guys were there to help them build and plan and just minister, if you will. Um, get them organized, right? And then in verse 21, verse 21, it says, chapter 38, this is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. So a priest named Ithamar oversaw the Levites who were in charge of the resources. And today's day, the materials to build here were about equal to $13 million. Um, so it wasn't a small, pro cheap project, right? This was a serious thing. And then verse 39, we see the priestly garments were made. That's what chapter 39 is about. And now chapter 40, we'll look at some verses here. Chapter 40, God tells Moses how to assemble everything. Chapter 40, verse 1 to verse 5 says... Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with a veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and, lights, uh, and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. And so he says, on the first day of the month. And this indicates that it is a year, it's been a year, since the Israel came out of Egypt. The Israelites came out of Egypt, the children of Israel, the Hebrews. And this was an eventful year in the history of Israel. It was very eventful. A lot went on, right? A lot of intense things. For some, I think it was a year of learning to work with God, or walk with God, like learning what that looks like, because they came from Egypt, right, and there was like polytheism, and there was golden statues, and there's all these idol worship, and there was all this stuff going on, this carnality, right, this status, and this money, and this rich, all of these things, right, and so I think for some of them, it was a learning to walk with God, and, and take him seriously, 
And there are many times where they're like, whoa, you know, they're just like shocked at what God did. He's so powerful. Probably for others and many, it was a year of no spiritual growth, of questioning, of like, I don't know, I'm just going to do what I know how to do. I don't do what I'm used to, right? Unfortunately, some Christians uh, don't grow much more beyond their initial experience with God. Like, they, they stay stagnant, they don't enter into the fullness of joy that is God's kingdom, that is kingdom living, basically. And maybe they say a prayer, think they have, you know, fire insurance, all right, I'm safe from hell, all good. So they can live how they want, yet there's no growth because there's, there's no refinement, there's, there's no discernment or desire to even genuinely follow the Lord. They're just like, I did that thing, I said that prayer, what, I'm, I'm good now, I'm going to do what I was doing before. And... A lot of people say, I'll wait till I'm on my deathbed. So, that's, that's, so how long are you going to live? Like, are you planning to live to like 85, 87? Are you going to make it to 90? Are you planning to live 110? Like, I, I mean, no one knows, right? Well, how do you know you're going to even make it that far? So, so in this chapter, the tabernacle was completed. Aaron and his sons, they were, they were anointed as priests. Again, looking back, praise the Lord for his mercy and grace. Praise the Lord for Aaron's repentance so he can be forgiven and move on to become a, a priest. And, and Moses oversees the assembly of the tabernacle, and the tent of meeting is set up. And so the Ark of the Covenant is set in the most holy place, and the veil is set in place. And in verse 34 and 35, it says, 34 and 35, Exodus 40, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God was pleased with the obedience of the children of Israel. Why? Because it showed the people believed in him. <laughs> it showed they kind of they came around. Finally, they're doing what I say. And that's the thing. Obedience welcomes God's glory. Obedience welcomes God's glory. Obedience to God, if you will, it ushers in his glory. We don't earn our deliverance. You didn't work harder than everyone else. That's why you're saved. That's why you're chosen. No. We don't earn our deliverance, yet when we follow the Lord, it results in blessings. So Moses wasn't able to enter the tabernacle, right, because the cloud was above it. In 1 Kings 8, 10, and 11, when Solomon completed and dedicated the temple, the glory filled the temple, and so the people couldn't stay in it. (laughs) It was powerful. Powerful. Without God's glory... The tent would be just a tent, a shell. It would be powerless. It's like without the Spirit of God, this would just be a building. We would just be people coming and having a social gathering. right? Does God's glory shine out of us? Does it shine out of us? Are we with His strength reflecting God's glory? Do people know we are all about the Lord? How amazing is it to be in the presence of the Lord? It's so amazing, mind-blowing. The veil has been torn, though, right? New Covenant, that we can boldly now come to the throne of grace. It's just, wow. So verse 36 says, Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys, right? And they were following him. Verse 37 
But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So God's glory abides with Israel in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So despite the golden calf incident, God was still with the children of Israel and Moses. And that's grace. Grace is it's unearned favor because of God's covenant with Israel, his promise. Exodus ends with the promise fulfilled from Exodus 29:45. Promise fulfilled. God said, "I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God." And so Yahweh is living among his people. And I love what it says at the very end, throughout all their journeys. Throughout all their journeys. This book ends with hope and trust in God. God was with Israel even in the desert. And God is with you. He's with me. Even in those seasons of dryness and difficulty, those seasons where you're like, God, what are you doing, right? Where you don't know what's going on. He is with you through your whole journey. He never says, I'm going to take a uh, sabbatical from you. (laughs) Like God never does that, right? He's always with us through our journey until the end. Even though we don't feel it sometimes, even though we don't know what the answer is going to be, even if we're in the holding pattern, even if we're in the hallway between two seasons and two rooms, he is with you in the desert when you're praying, you know, when you're pr- praying every day for provision and protection, he's, he's providing for you, he's protecting you. And a lot of what God does is unseen, right? But you know he's working because you see the results. And that's a beautiful thing. God is faithful. And I, I think through the book of Exodus, I've seen that thread all the way through. There's a lot all the way through. He's sovereign, but he's faithful. And he will forgive you even if you, you built golden calves in your heart or have gone astray towards idols or have said, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to go the other way, opposite way of you. No, repent and be forgiven and be relieved of that guilt. God was with Israel even though they rebelled. I mean, even, even think of your life as a believer, those times where you allowed yourself to drift or backslide or whatever. We've all done it. We're human, right? We're, there's all, always times of refinement where we're like, wait a second, I, I kind of like tiptoed off the, the path. It was nighttime. I didn't think God would see me <laughs> or whatever it is. And it's like, no, let me get back on. But those times where you were hard-headed and hard-hearted, yet God's mercy, yet God's grace, Yet God's heart, you're still here, you're still loved, you're still forgiven. God was with Israel even though they wanted things their way. Doing your own will will keep you in the desert, stranded, circling the same region for decades. Doing God's will will result in arriving to the promised land, the place where God wants you, where He wants us. There's a story that Watchman Nee told in his commentary on Romans, if you, if you ever want to buy a commentary, buy Watchman Nee's commentary on Romans. It's really good and deep. He said, in China, a group of us went to swim in the lake. And a guy who was with them, he started swimming on the other side of the lake. It was kind of far away, but he could see him. He started swimming, and he, he got a cramp in his leg. And he started struggling to stay afloat. Right? He started drowning. He was trying to stay above water, yelling. For help. Now his friend was on the other side, like on the land, watching his other friend struggle. And he didn't jump in to save him quickly. Like he could have. He could have just jumped in and grabbed him and be like, oh, you're all good now. But he didn't go out there to try to save him. 
Watchman Nee was yelling to his friend, like, he's drowning, help him. You know, he was trying to help him. Like, look, do you see him? He's right in front of you. He was trying to get him to go out and save his friend. He's drowning, help him. And his friend was yelling something back, but they couldn't understand each other. They could not understand each other, but the lake was so big, they couldn't hear. They just heard, like, noise, and, like, they saw that they were yelling. It was like, what's going on? So it looked like this guy was going to drown. He was about to die until his friend finally jumped in, you know, after what seemed like forever. And he finally jumped in when the guy was about to drown, and he saved him, grabbed him, pulled him to the shore. And later, you know, Watchman Nee was told by his friend that, that was on the land, he's like, if I immediately jumped in to save this guy, to save our friend, like, his strength would have overpowered me. He'd pull me underwater, and we would both drown and die. He said, I had to wait until he was completely exhausted and at his end before I could actually jump in and save him. And so this is a story of what the Christian life is about. Like, you know, he, it's about surrendering and letting God rescue you, hold you, and keep you, not in your own strength, but it's all God's strength. He has a plan for all his kids, and we will walk in that plan if we surrender our ideas of what we think we should do and submit to God's will of what he wants us to do. And so it's been said our biggest enemy as believers isn't the world, it isn't the enemy. Our biggest, our biggest struggle and, and enemy is ourselves. We get in God's way. We often let stubbornness uh, overtake us, and we were led by that. We stay in the desert because we try and do things without God in our own strength, and if we keep that up, we will drown. Striving will not, uh, will not keep us on God's path, if you will. It's all about obedience. You know, it's all about surrender. Moses was there. He had some faithful leaders, and all but this vicious cycle of disobedience, I mean, took out the whole generations of believers, right? They were disobedient over and over again, except a couple people, Joshua and Caleb. They were faithful, you know, and be faithful like Moses, like Joshua, like Caleb, you know. It's not until we, we hate to get to our end. Like, we don't like it. Like, we don't want to get there. We want to be everything, like, neat and tidy and strong, and I'm good, and it's good. But we hate to get to the part where, like, I have no control. But that's exactly where God wants us, because then we're like, no, wait, do we realize God's in control, right? He's the one sustaining us. He's the one providing for us. I've heard story after story of people hitting rock bottom, and that's when they finally looked up. They finally got to the place where I literally don't, can't do anything. I don't even know, Lord. And that's when they looked up, and God gra- grabbed their hand and pulled them out of that miry clay and set them upon the rock. And so Moses was faithful. We learned, again, we learned, this is our discussion time in the last 15 minutes. Moses was faithful. We're going to look at the children of Israel and we're going to look at the Lord, and we're going to see throughout the whole book of Exodus, you know, what do we see about God? What do we see about the children of Israel? And what do we see about Moses? So let's pray, and then the we'll, rest of the time we'll have a discussion. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Exodus, Lord. Um, there was so much in here. Um, we just thank you we had the opportunity just to dig in and study it and glean from it, and we pray that we continue to glean from it, even as we start Leviticus, Lord. <laughs> we pray that uh, you would use your word, Lord, to change our lives, Lord, to, um, to walk in the way you want us to walk, to 
totally surrender, Lord, to not try to strive, Lord, but to really be obedient to what you, you have for us, Lord, day by day. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time. Thank you for the book of Exodus, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.